Howdy riders, welcome back to Ride Between the Wines virtual edition, or Zoom edition. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, today's guest is all the way from Piemonte in Italy. It's Claudio Viberti, um, who is the winemaker for Berti Wines there. Uh, we'll be trying a couple of wines with him. We're going to hear about his family's story, about the uh, restaurant Buon Padre. It was extremely interesting and fun to talk to him for a few minutes. Uh, so if you're ready, buckle up. Let's ride. The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, so fancy! <laughs> Buongiorno. Oh, there you go. Now I can hear you. Bella. Ciao. Ciao. Come stai. Well, how are you? Cazzo, what a bear you have. It's, it's bigger than mine. <laughs> you like it? Well, I don't have much up here, so. Yeah, we can make exchange. <laughs> Swap. Uh. Okay, let me just fix the, um, the volume. Okay. How is the situation in, the, in, uh, in your area now? So we're opening up a little bit now. Um, our restaurants are about 50% capacity um, indoors, and then they're fully open for outdoor seating. And I would say, Maybe 75% of my restaurants are actually doing it, and some of them are still holding back to see, you know, what's happening. How about you? What's People, it like? No, the, the year the situation is uh, catastrophic. Still locked down. Yeah. We're going to open. Uh, you know, the story of my family is uh, we open uh, for biz, uh, We open for making wine back in 1923. Mm -hmm. Just let me say something to my guys. Potete poi un attimino fermare sto casino? Okay. I say my, my, my family started the restaurant business back in the days and we still run two restaurants. So we are very like, um, we are very like into the restaurant business and the, the restaurant business is uh, for us uh, very, very important. But here everything is closed. We give us authorization up to um, June 1st, we can open. So we decide to open the first restaurant, Buon Padre, the historical, in two weeks' time, and next week, the brand new one, the La Gemella. Those two names are actually the name of the wine you're working with. <laughs> Great. Oh, well, that's good. Well, hope, hope you all get opened back up and, and everything goes kind of back to normal. That'll be nice. Okay, well, before we make questions, why don't we go ahead and start off and just tell me um, about your grandfather and your family and how you guys got from restaurants into winemaking? So, um, uh, avoiding any like presentation, I will go briefly like uh, a chat with a friend. Uh, the, the family started back uh, in 1896 when they were uh, owning like, um, like a small inn. 
the this was uh, the building of Bonpadre restaurant. What what is Bonpadre restaurant nowadays? And is a home is a house in the in the hill of Barolo in the upper part. It's just the road that from Barolo is take you then down to the valley, down to south where you go to Liguria. Uh -huh. People that used to do trading, that used to do market and transports uh, within uh, North Italy and Liguria. Uh, they used to pass by this road, so they used to stop by for uh, for a meal, for a glass of wine, for rest a few hours. It was like a a modern motel in the old days. So um, this place uh, was uh, was everything because it was the tobacco shop, the restaurant, a place to sleep, and uh, and also what we call a, a drugstore, like uh, where you can buy, uh, you know. Mm, basic uh, uh, basic dairy product like milk okay. mm -hmm. and uh, bread uh, stuff like this then in 1923 my grandfather decided to produce his first house wine it was not really a barolo i mean it was a barolo but it was not uh, saying barolo in the label mm -hmm. because the, um, the goal for him was just branding and promoting Buon Padre. So the label was saying Vino del Buon Padre. That's cool. Yeah. Just in the 60s, they start to call it Barolo Buon Padre. Let me show you something. Let me call a bottiglia vecchia, actually. This, for example, was the, in the label that was between uh, um, 90, uh, uh, early 1960s and then, uh, and then nowadays, I'm still the same outlooking. Uh -huh. And it is the, the label of the, of the Barolo Bonpadre. Uh, so the house wine at the beginning was only served in the restaurant. And then uh, people start to demand the label. So we start to sell the wine uh, to the domestic market, so to the Italian market uh, in, um, uh, it was 1970s uh, roughly. Mm -hmm. And then step by step, uh, let's say the winery in the 80s uh, uh, took its own path. And uh, the restaurant is still uh, run and operated by us, but the uh, wine become stronger and uh, it doesn't just sell the wine to the restaurant, but also to, to other restaurants all over the world. And um, the core business is still Barolo. The flagship is uh, uh -huh. Barolo Buon Padre. And uh, then mm -hmm. we are stronger in the Barbera category. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, dolcetto category. Dolcetto is uh, what we drink in Piemonte as uh, Monday to Friday wine. Okay, is uh, is our you know daily drinking wine. While uh, and uh, while uh, uh, sorry, we're in the office. It's, <laughs> uh, but basically, Barolo in the old days was always the bottle to drink uh, in the weekend, in the special occasion. Uh -huh. Nowadays, the type of wine we start to produce uh, from the late 90s, uh, it's a more approachable Barolo. It's Barolos that can be very much good, very good to drink in the early days. So, mm -hmm. so as soon as they are released, uh, make an example, the new vintage 16 is beautiful. You can drink right away, so perfumed with a velvety tannin. It's not anymore the rush, the, the harsh, the astringent tannin that mm -hmm. was part of the, the, the old days. Uh, but basically, that's the story. And uh, to, gi to, to give you the, the, the new story of the family, we start to make the wine for the restaurant. And now we have, uh, we have uh, a wine label that is called the La Gemella Barbera that uh, gave his name to another restaurant, a second restaurant we opened in Barolo called Locanda La Gemella. 
So it's a never-ending story. The the the, the tie, the, the 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 link we have with the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. Uh, the state, uh, as we produce uh, um, state wines, it's uh, uh, roughly 20 hectares that in, in, uh, in acre, that in acre it's about 60, 62 acre. Mm -hmm. And they are planted with three major varieties, Nebbiolo grapes, Barbera grapes, and dolcetto grapes. Mm -hmm. And then we have a very small uh, vineyards planted with Chardonnay. You might say mm -hmm. Chardonnay is international, you can find it everywhere in the world. Yes, you're right, but you should know that in Barolo village, we don't have a local white varieties. So if you look for an indigenous white grapes from Barolo, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So when uh, we did think about a white wine back in 1988 it was Chardonnay. And the Chardonnay um, was made uh, uh, in oak from my father at the beginning. It was very oaky. It was very standard Chardonnay. When mm -hmm. I started to be the winemaker, I said to my father, the wine was awful. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So we stopped making this label uh, in, uh, in 2004 because uh, the label was, uh, I mean, was, was one of the thousand Chardonnay you can find on shelf everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I just uh, revisited this label uh, in, uh, with the vintage 2018. I created uh, the same label with a new name. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, Renato. Renato meaning reborn because it was a label that uh, was, uh, um, was made and uh, we bring back on track the label again, but not anymore okay. It's right. really so it's different because you you have the fantastic like uh, minerality and the terroir driven wine that shows our state, but then you have uh, 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 you have a wine that uh, is also very balanced thanks to the thanks to the to aging. But it's, it's absolutely it's absolutely delicious. Yes, and and uh, and then uh, the Barolos. It's um, our business is Barolo. We produce Barolo that uh, can be considered traditional Barolo. So we use big barrel for the aging. Mm -hmm. We don't use any barrique, any like a small barrel, and we do aging uh, from three up to four. Sometimes for some of our Barolos, up to five years, our single vineyards reserva before being bottled. So the way we use the oak, uh, and because the oak is no toasted, never gives to the wine uh, vanilla or oaky flavor. The wine are very pure, and they always develop more perfume and varietal flavor. For the Barbera, we produce different label. The La Gemella, it's our like no oak Barbera, uh -huh. and it's a Barbera that comes from high density vineyards. Vineyards planted at 6,000, 6,500 vines hectares. So very dense on the way to make grapes more juicier. So that's what, this is what makes special the Gemella. The taste, it's not sharpened like many Barbera, but uh -huh. it's round and velvety. So the wine is extremely good, not only in the wintertime, but also in the summertime as a, like a summer red, because you can serve slightly chill the wine and the acidity, even if it's there, is super smoothy. It's not like, a, uh, brisky in the city. Mm -hmm. 
And this is the way we approach this, uh, the three grapes, the Nebbiolo, the Barbera, and the Chardonnay. But then I say the Dolcetto. Dolcetto, it's a grapes that tend to produce wine for the more younger drinking age. So it's not a grapes that loves to stay in oak and that loves to do aging. So what we do to make balance the wine is, all, is just a stainless steel storage for about uh, 10 up to 12 months before go through the bottling. The wine is more rustic. So I discovered during my career traveling mm -hmm. in the US, the US market loves more our Barbera La Gemella mm -hmm. because uh, it's, uh, it's more juicier and people love more the fruit forward that is in the wine. And because of the price level, uh, you know, this maybe is our label Monday to Friday for US, but in the domestic market, in the, especially in Piemonte, what uh, we drink Monday to Friday is Dolcetto. Dolcetto. And then the Rosata, that is the only rosé wine produced in the commune of uh, uh, Barolo, I mean, uh, still rosé, correct? <laughs> it's, you notice the color is like a Côte de Provence. It's very light, yes. It's 100% uh, Nebbiolo grapes here. And here we, uh, it's, not, it's a no appellation wine because if uh, we have an appellation here called Lange, it's like a regional appellation. But the appellation, the good thing about the appellation is they give us uh, where pick up the grapes. The bad thing about the appellation on the Rosé here in Piemonte, the, the winemaking technique are very strict and doesn't allow us to do our job, to do the best mm. of the grapes. So the way we do our rosé is actually we do the same way we make in a white wine, but with the Nebbiolo. So we do the white juice and then like they do in France for the champagne rosé, we do the, jet, the add of the red wine to make the color at the end of the, of the storage. This allowed us to, you know, to get the color we like because color is all about, uh, uh, it's all about what you like. Because even if you do the short skin contact, you go shorter, you have pale color. You go longer, you have more like dark color. But uh, what we like is, is this color. And to be precise, uh, the only way is uh, to produce our wine as a white and then to just uh, add the red, the same red that comes from the same vineyard mm -hmm. at the end of the, of the process of the storage. Well, I, what were you saying about the, the legal restrictions and how you make rosé that are preventative? Is, what are they? Making, making rosé with the Lange DOC appellation doesn't allow you to add any red wines to the juice. Oh, I see. So you just don't have the Lange appellation on it. Gotcha. So, yeah. I mean, uh, we, our vineyards are in Barolo. You can uh, straight see in the label where we're coming from, but... Uh, using the appellation will be for me a restriction to make a, such a good wine. Gotcha. But well, this, is the, this is the story of Italian bureaucracy. Yeah, I've heard. Because uh, if you just look at Sassicaia and you, you bring a label, I think before 1982, it was a red table wine. It was not even the appellation. Yeah. Because, um, because of the bureaucracy, you know, in Italy we're very famous for it. I, I've heard. So do you play a role in the Barolo Consortium or anything towards changing? Yeah, we are, uh, we are a part of the consortium, but uh, for uh, internal decision, we decide to never be part of the board. Okay. 
uh, we don't, you know, we don't want to be politically involved. We like our freedom. Good, good for you. I like it. Um, we, we respect the rule, obviously, because the consortium is made by by most of the Barolo producer. Uh, often, uh, or we, we agree in everything they decide. It's a very good consortium. Uh, maybe the only thing we're missing, but it's not about our consortium, it's more about Italian. Italian are very like individual. Mm -hmm. So we never really do big operation all together, like they do in the Champagne, in the Bordeaux mm -hmm. area. But uh, we like uh, our, indivi our in individual like uh, point of view, our way to make wine. We want to make our wine often uh, make it special. So we mm -hmm. want to make be special. So Italians are definitely very like uh, individual in this in this sense. It's a bad point, but it's also a good point for you as a consumer because uh, you can find more stories behind the label versus uh, other part of the world where sometimes you know only the the brand Bordeaux, but you don't know really you know the stories behind each brand. The beauty of uh, of uh, Italy is uh, behind each label there is a story of a person and of a family or a vineyards or many things. Is, would you say that your neighbors are embracing the kind of style that you have with your Barolo now where it's, you don't have to age it forever? You're saying with the new vintage, you can drink it right out of the bottle? Uh, Mike, there is, a, a, as I say, uh, the, the, the media in the past divided Barolo in two, in two containers, two boxes. Mm -hmm. Traditionalist and modernist. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I always say uh, to be a good traditionalist, you need to bring a little bit of modern days. Otherwise, uh, you will never be able to improve. Right, you'd be left behind. So uh, what I like uh, uh, from the traditionalist uh, was uh, the use of a specific type of barrel. Big one, never toasted. So barrel that we are willing to never leave flavor the wine, but always like develop and be a tool to let the wine be oxygenated. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, the modern, the modern Barolo producer bring uh, to the wineries the barrique, the 225 liter barrel. Those barrels are by, uh, you know, by, uh, by manufacturing, they are toasted. So the 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 wine that aged inside it tend always to get more vanilla, more flavor that comes from the oak, and more like uh, arch and dry tanning that uh, tend to fix the color in the more like darker side. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, is not uh, is not I think respecting the grapes mm -hmm. because uh, when you use those type of tool. Uh, Forget about the terroir driven wine, forget about the grapes because often you don't reckon where the wine comes from right. because the, the, the nose is flat. So the, um, the big difference uh, uh, between the old days and the modern days is the, not really in the, in the, in the oak because the oak is, is, the, is the tool they use. Mm -hmm. The major difference is uh, um, in the timing of uh, uh, the skin contact, the maceration time. Because years ago, 
the skin contact uh, was uh, um, longer because uh, they used to pick up grapes uh, very late, so the grapes were coming cold in the in the winery. So before the fermentation was taking place, uh, it was taking a very long time. Uh, for what concern uh, the nowadays time we can be sorry i just um in the modern days we don't have any more the um, uh, we don't have any more to pick up the grapes very late because the uh, the the vintages are warmer mm -hmm. so we pick the grapes earlier and the grapes tend to be a little bit uh, um uh, warmer when they are in the cellar so we naturally often start the fermentation very quickly mm -hmm. and if not we have technology in the cellar with uh, tanks where we can heat preheat the tank in this way we have uh, the maceration that is shorter and allowed us to get most of uh, the good tanning Mm -hmm. But if you do very long skin contact, you know, you get the good tanning, but also you get the, the bad tanning, the stringent one, the green mm -hmm. one. So I think uh, the be shorter in the time of uh, maceration is a modern technique that uh, is, is very good also than if you tend to produce a traditional wine. Because uh, it's uh, the improvement, the 2.0 level of the traditional Barolo. Uh, long skin contact and long aging uh, not always uh, give you the best results uh, for a Barolo. Uh, and also doesn't give you a Barolo that is uh, immediately ready to be drank. It's mm -hmm. a Barolo that uh, reaches balance maybe after 10, 15 years. And I think it's a mistake. I don't think it's, uh, it's something good. We need to, to keep the tradition, to keep the roots, but to keep the roots, we need to use also what uh, the modern days is giving to us, the technology and also the know-how, the expertise that we develop over the years. So shorter skin contact for Viverti and big barrel for the aging. That's the resume of our winemaking style. And the, and the oak, it's not toasted, it's, it's steamed? Steam. It's Steam. Uh, it, we use pretty large barrel uh, and they, they are called teeny. We don't use really the botte, the horizontal. We use the vertical barrel because okay. the vertical barrel to manufacture when they fix the ring, they don't need too much heat to curve the piece of oak. Okay. So it's easy to manufacture the barrel and the barrel is definitely more, uh, it's, it's, it's actually the type of oak we want neutral nice well i gotta tell you i'm having the 15 and it's absolutely delicious ready to drink balanced complex this is beautiful wine yeah 50 uh, we were pretty lucky you know we had 15 16 two good vintages in a row then we're gonna have uh, um let's say 17 uh, 18 19 for everybody generic will be a good vintage 18 will be more approachable mm -hmm. very like good to drink uh, in the, in the immediately drinking. Uh, but uh, 17 uh, it will be a vintage uh, that the winner will be the farmer. People mm -hmm. need pay attention to the timing because uh, 17 was very hot and uh, was uh, sometimes uh, the ripening uh, in 17 was uh, too quick. 
So the alcohol level, because of the sugar level, was uh, reached, but the phenolic level sometimes was not reached or not balanced with the alcohol. Okay. So you might find in 17 some wine that maybe will be a little bit unbalanced. In our case, we did a very good job. We anticipated the harvest in each parcel in, with a pretty good timing. So I think we have a very good, very good wine. 17, by the way, is a very good vintage for Barbera. Hot vintage, good for Barbera. Hot vintage are good for Nebbiolo when at the end of the ripening season, so September, October, you have then hot daytime and cold nighttime. So you have a bigger delta of temperature. While Barbera doesn't care. Barbera loves hot daytime, hot nighttime. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, just on the conversation of farming and, and grapes out in the field, can you talk a little bit about the crews of Barolo? Oh, yeah. Maybe let me see if I have something even better because okay. I might have a, a map I will show you. Let me see. Oh, here we are. Hold on. Let me share the screen for with you. Can I? Please. Can do I, I have share? to do something? No, I'll do for you. Okay. Ah, no, <laughs> I, I cannot share the screen. I'm unbelievable. No, I can't. Sorry. So uh, the map of Barolo, if you give me a second, let me take a map uh, on my... On well, testimony. okay. Hello. Okay, this is the map of Barolo. Okay. Each color represents a crew, but basically we have two sides of the Barolo It's the west and the east side. There is 11 villages. The one in the west side tend to give you Barolos with more uh, velvety tannin and perfumed nose. The east side tend to give you more uh, Barolo with more austerity, more like... Uh, uh, drier tannin and more like uh, tar nose, so less primary nose. Okay. More acidity is specifically in the area of Barolo where we are because it's higher altitude vineyards and uh, less acidity in the lower hills. So basically here there is a map with uh, each color representing a crew. So a crew means a specific uh, group of vineyards in an area that tend to give to the grapes a special characteristic uh -huh. that makes the wine uh, like uh, a wine that uh, has a remarkable characteristic that uh, we call it terroir driven. Mm -hmm. We own uh, and manage vineyards in seven crews mm -hmm. and we buy grapes from three crews. Uh, the Barolo Bonpada is a classico. Classico for Barolo doesn't necessarily mean like in the Chianti classico grapes that comes uh, um, from a specific region. Classico mm -hmm. for Barolo means blend of Nebbiolo from different crews. Then Barolo Cruz it's under percent from St. Cruz and the name on label is mm -hmm. the name of the crew. Gotcha. Buon Padre, for example, is a brand 
and is a Barolo Classico, so it's made with 10 crews. Those 10 crews are Brecco delle Viole, San Pietro, La Volta, Albarella, Bergera, Terlo, Ravera, and these are vineyards that we manage directly. Mm -hmm. And then we have Fossati, um, Monvigliero and Perno. Those three are uh, purchased grapes from three uh, farmers that are working with us uh, since uh, the one from uh, uh, Perno, it's uh, already 12 years now. The other two, it's uh, four years. So it's uh, new. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we start working with someone that are not under our estate, we ask uh, two things. First, a minimum 17 years contract. So it's not like a shop deal. Right. And then second point, they need to, the work in the vineyards need to be under our guideline, our like uh, um, supervision. Mm -hmm. They cannot uh, work as they like because uh, we work in a very like uh, precise and uh, specific way in the vineyards. We do have all the grass control within the vines by hand with, uh, with the hoe. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we do, uh, uh, the, the, the way we control the grass and which grass is between the rinds, uh, it's uh, specific. We, we plant grass. Mm -hmm. So in which type uh, we decide, uh, every year is different. Right. It's a little bit, uh, you know, for making good grapes is uh, 80% of the quality of a wine. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, then um, everything is easier afterwards. Anyway, in, uh, um, in those crews uh, we have, uh, that I mentioned, we have only Neviolo. In one crew called Bricco delle Viole, we are the only owner of a vineyards of Barbera inside. So everything is Nebbiolo. There is one parcel that was planted in 1941 that is a Barbera that uh, my family call it Bricco Airoli. Bricco Airoli is a fantasy name that was given by my grandfather because he doesn't want to call his Barbera like his Barolo Bricco delle Viole. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's a vineyard that uh, we consider or can be considered a clos, like in France. It's mm -hmm. a special vineyard inside a crew. And uh, this vineyard was uh, maintained in uh, massa selection over the, over the past. So there is no one vine missing. And when one vine is dying, we uh, change the vine with, uh, um, with the same vine reproduced from the best one that are inside the vineyards. Mm -hmm. This is a a selection that uh, is important to maintain uh, the same DNA of the vineyards. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful vineyard. We, we, we work in these vineyards, 85% of the work is by hand, everything. Because uh, even like uh, the soil, we try to maintain uh, the, the balance, air and water. So it's, uh, it's something very special. And I'll be happy to send you for your follower a presentation that talks specifically about the crews and also those labels, where are they coming from? Oh, I'd love to see that.
Are you, so as far as um, you're talking about how you guys maintain the, the grapes, both with your own and the ones that you're buying, um, uh, what about organic? Is that something you guys ever mess with? Sort of oh, yeah, we are certified that? sustainable. Okay. We were organic certified for 18 years, but I uh, changed it to sustainable because, uh, uh, again, it's a bureaucracy matter. I think uh, in our territory here, with our hill, I think uh, the good compromise uh, within, uh, uh, within the type of uh, intervention, it's uh, the, good, uh, the good way to go. So uh, the organic, for example, for all what concerned the, the phytosanitary control only allowed the copper uh, as a contact product uh -huh. preserved from the mildew, from the fungus, from diseases. But uh, I don't agree hundred percent because if you if it's a rainy season and you have a lot of uh, um, every time uh, the, the rain wash your copper on your leaves and you need to spread it again. So the risk to be organic is also is to to poison your soil. Right. So sometimes it's good to compromise uh, the copper with uh, um, some like a systemic product that makes the copper go inside the vine. So even if it rains or it's a rainy season, it will never be washed and it will never poison your soil. So you need to, to do a balance, like everything. I mean, right. it's like saying to you, okay, you cannot use the car anymore. Uh, maybe you can, you, it's better use the bicycle if your accounts live closer to you, but otherwise, you need to take the car. Maybe it's better for you. You need to organize your timing, your appointments mm -hmm. to be sustainable. But if you just drive around like, like, like crazy, you will waste time, you will waste engine, you create uh, pollution. So I agree with you completely. That's interesting. I like it. Um, I know your time is fresh. So I'm asking like two more questions then I'm gonna let you go. No um, <laughs> One of them was, we, we talked about uh, several of the names of your labels, Bon Page, obviously, and we're drinking the Jamela, which has the, the rosé is what I'm drinking, but, you know, also the Barbera. But the, the name Jamela, I don't think we talked about that, La Jamela, where that comes from. Yeah, Jamela means twin sister, because my mother is a twin sister. So this is a wine dedicated to my mom, because she's a big Barbera fan. Okay. And uh, in, you should know that, especially in the early 2000, 2004, 2005, most of the good Barbera vineyards were replanted in Barolo with the Nebbiolo for a simple reason. It was more profitable. <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, my mother was the human spirit behind the project uh, that uh, we, that she pushed hardly the winery to plant more Barbera. And uh, the label is definitely a tribute to my, uh, to my mother. Oh, I, I like that. That's the nice. rosé, the story of the rosé is a, a funny story. We planted the vineyards for producing, uh, for increase a little bit our production on our Langene Viola. Langene Viola is our second label of the Barolo Bombardier. It's mm -hmm. the baby Barolo. Mm -hmm. Uh, we planted uh, these vineyards and um, after a year we discovered that the, the vines, the, the clone type of the vines, it was not the one we, we, we choose and we, uh, with our supply, with our grower. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, we we found strange because the, these vines were well, it was the viola, but it was not the clone we we would like. And then we discovered this was not uh, the the traditional lampia that we use uh, for our violas and and, and the viola. It was a, an old clone family of clone called Rosé. This clone was disappeared from the from the let's say from the area in early 1990s, and most of those vineyards were replanted with Nebbiolo Lampia because the Lampia is more uh, give more consistency on the on the quality level, on the ripening uh, is more productive, it's more optimal. Let's say the rose has a ton of problems. It's uh, less productive, uh, the ripening, uh, the phenolic ripening is always more problematic. Uh, so soon, but the, the vineyard was planted. So what what are we going to do? And as uh, soon as uh, we, we discover this, we say, okay, we're going to make a new label. This will be our rosé because we're going to have problem on phenolic anyway. And the rosé, the only thing we don't need is the phenolic ripening uh, in terms of color, I uh -huh. mean. Uh, so we we start to produce the rosé because of a mistake we have uh, we have done in the farm, but uh, this was not in our plan making rosé. That's why also the production is pretty limited because we do total production a year it's uh, eight hundred cases. Oh yeah, it's seven hundred, eight hundred. Yeah. We give to U.S. national uh, three hundred and fifty, four hundred cases a year. It's limited. That's great. I didn't realize that. Well, it's great. It's delicious. For, for um, that price and limited production, I, I, I will buy it. <laughs> Me too. Um, all right. Well, I think um, maybe the, the last question that I want to ask you is um, in the area, uh, just a little bit about food, um, especially because you have such a restaurant background within the family of the winery. Um, what are some great pairings? What do people eat and drink in Piemonte that, that go well with Barolo versus Dolcetta and et cetera? Can, I, can you repeat the question, please? Oh, that's okay. No, I was just saying, um, uh, what would you say are the typical food of Piemonte and what are some typical pairings with maybe Barolo versus Dolcetto that, that domestically you would you would find people drinking. Uh, in, in, a, in a typical Piemonte meal, we always start with a bottle of Dolcetto or either Barbera, mm -hmm. and then we follow with a bottle of Nebbiolo or Barolos. Um, what we generally like pair, I mean, for the Barbera, everything that uh, is on grill is perfect. Um, so even like steak or things uh, like uh, more fat food, like uh, pork belly, it's very mm -hmm. good. Uh, while Nebbiolo's wine or Barolo, they need the more tender cut, like filet mignon or even braised uh, meats uh, that are a little bit uh, right. mm -hmm. softer in, uh, in cooking. What concern the, um, uh, what concern the, uh, the dolcetto? It's what we drink with pasta, ex pasta. We do the tallarino, we do the plin that are more like a, a tiny dumpling. Mm -hmm. uh, that's more dolcetto pasta, dolcetto, dolcetto food. Uh, and then uh, Barbera is also very good for cheese, like the Barolo as well. But stronger cheese, better with Barbera. More tender cheese or uh, herbs cheese is more with Barolo. And uh, all the Barolos goes well with dark chocolate. Hmm. Dark chocolate and orange peel. The bitter sweet feeling is very good. 
Well, Claudio, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been awesome. I look forward to putting this together and selling more of your wine. Thank you, and I hope you, uh, your support and uh, make sure you have uh, some samples for your clients. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely take out a bag, <laughs> at least one. Thank you. Bye. Ciao, Mike. Ciao, ciao. 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 All right, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed the, the feature. Uh, Claudio Viberti, I think it's fantastic. Uh, try his wines at some point. Um, now, I'm going back to an old segment I did when we did the audio-only version, which was Take 5, which is where I would call somebody randomly on the phone and ask them five questions. Well, now that we're doing video, I think this is a perfect time to start Take 5 up again. And uh, uh, what better group of people to talk to right now than local restaurateurs? So um, today, I'm joined by Mike. You know, Mike, I'm going to ask you six questions. It's supposed to only be five, but I feel like it's been way too long for me to ask you this. But how do you pronounce your last name? Duganier. It was Duganiero Dugan when my grandfather came over from Italy and they cut the O off his name. It went from Duganiero to Duganier. I'm glad I asked. I would have said it completely wrong. So Mike Duganier um, uh, from Publico. So very excited to have you here, Mike. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at you and talk to you. But... Uh, Welcome. Thanks for being on my podcast for Take 5, and, and let's get started. So, question number one. Last meal on earth. I want to know food and drink for the very last meal that you could pick that you will ever have in this world. Okay. It would, it would have to be my mother's sauce and some meatballs, maybe a little Italian sausage. Um... Look, I eat sushi a lot more. I love, obviously, all the food that we do here with our ramen and our tacos. If it was the last, last thing I was going to eat, it would be my mother's pasta and meatballs. Um, drink with that. I'm a big fan of Super Tuscans. So maybe a really big, fat Super Tuscan. I'm not really quite sure which one, but that's where I'd go, probably. I love it. I'm not, I'm not far off from that. You can't, beat, you can't beat noodles and sauce. I haven't had your mom's, but uh, yeah, they're delicious. I, that's, that's right up my alley. All right, question number two. I wonder if these numbers are going to show up backwards on my screen. I've never tried this. I might have to write them backwards. Question number two, story time. Give me your funniest story from this restaurant. Funniest story. Um, there's probably a lot being put on the spot. I would say uh, if anyone's been through a restaurant opening um, or just been in the restaurant business, but a restaurant opening can be pretty intense. And um, with everything that can go wrong during an opening, um, ours uh, fell on Friday the 13th. So I thought it was this kind of- This store opened on Friday the 13th? Yeah, it was November 13th, Friday the 13th, 2015, that after finally getting a chance to get open and running around and make sure we had the right permits and everything, our staff was trained. and orders are coming in and I'm getting pulled in 12 directions uh, it fell on Friday the 13th and I kind of told the staff to embrace that and let's have fun with it and so that's that was kind of a funny story oh that's great that's, that's a very public kind of thing to do yeah, right? Friday the 13th let's, let's just go with it yeah um, alright Yeah. The place, the patio, out at public. The time, 
late afternoon about now. The weather, upper 80s. What's the drink? Uh, man, typically for me, I get boring. I'll, I'll get a nice glass of, like, saw a blog. But I would say, um, you have to, even though it's 80s, you're saying, I would still throw down a spicy publico margarita. Uh, our house uh, ingredients, uh, but it's uh, basically a skinny for the most part. But um, I love I love heat and heat. I like the the spiciness of the jalapenos being infused, and uh, I love some sunshine. So I'd go public with a spicy margarita. Uh, I don't doubt it. A bit. And I'm not doing these wine answers because you're Mike the wine guy. I just, you know, yeah. throw, I, I do enjoy myself some vino here and there. <laughs> you got Super Tuscan in there. You said soft blog. Soft blog, so, yeah. Um, question number four. Yeah. This is a, oh, I would tell. This is a good one. Question right. number four. Music 101. Now, I'm eliminating Frank Sinatra because I know. Why are you eliminating Frank? Obvious answer. Okay. And nothing else was Okay. Happening. But eliminating him. Francis. That said, okay. Of these three artists, who do you prefer? Okay. Taylor Swift. Love me some T Swift. Outcast. Okay. Or Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, man. I was the only three I get. Um, no D. Well, they all have a connection to him. I would go, and not just because we're here in Columbia, but I'd go with <laughs> I'd go with Darius and go with Hootie because I do love country as well, and he's done a great job with country music. Um. I like all three, honestly, but I'd go Hootie. I, I was I was testing you because I bought yeah. the Hootie album in 1995 Hootie. when it came out. And I was 15 years old. So go ahead. Well, because Hootie's Columbia, Outkast is Atlanta. Yep. Publica number two, and then Taylor Swift is kind of Nashville, which I just know is near and dear to your heart. Yes, it is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll go, we'll go Hootie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Number five, fifth and final question. Sticking the landing, so let's stick the landing. What makes Publico so special? Okay, there's a lot of things, um, and I can I'm gonna give you kind of two answers. One of them is ever since we've opened, um, the employees, the Publico family, have been just a, a, a group of kids and young adults uh, over the last four and a half years, regardless of when they graduate and they move on or and new a new crew comes in. They've always been really, really good people, good kids, good young adults. They care. They've made this place special. The community um, welcomed us four and a half years ago um, after a staple had left. You know, um, they could have easily not wanted to come once one of their favorite restaurants was gone, but they've welcomed us with open arms. We made a lot of great friends over the last four and a half years in our community and our neighbors. But what's, what makes this place really near and dear to my heart was uh, in the last 22 years, I've, I've moved around the U.S. like I think 19 different cities, and so I left home at 18. And so the fact that out of all of these moves, when we started Publico, our first Publico was right here in Columbia, South Carolina. It brought me to South Carolina, and my parents had moved to Myrtle Beach from Buffalo, New York, and it was the first time in close to 20 years that I was within an hour and a half drive. And when we started building and painting and doing uh, demolition and whatever we were doing in this building to make it Publico, they would come to town on an easy hour and a half drive and they were a part of that summer with me and my business partner um, 
recruiting public all together. And I got to spend quality time for the first time in 20 years, uh, more than just Christmas. You know, once a year, it was, it was every other week they were coming to town and they were getting dirty and they were, they were building tables, painting the walls, cleaning, uh, you name it. And that is what makes this restaurant special to me. Yeah. I love that. Well, if you have never been to Publico, uh, we're in Five Points, right in the center of Five Points here. Please come out, check it out. Amazing patio has been very well. You guys, what you turn that parking lot into is crazy out there. Um, the food is great. It's all over the place, you know, um, and obviously the wine is great and the food's great. Um, so come on out. I'll tag them in this post so you can see it. Otherwise, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Always, always fun talking. The same. And there you have it. Another episode down. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Thank you so much to Claudio Viberti for his time. Uh, very, very cool. If you've not tried these wines, please go out and try them. The Buon Padre is fantastic. The Rosé that we tried, the Jamela is absolutely delicious. Uh, great wines. And if you haven't experienced Piemonte and Barolos, you need to do that anyways. Uh, please join next week when we have Maurizio Zanella, who is from Cotta Bosco, the proprietor, the founder. If you don't know what Franciacorta is, haven't heard of Cotta Bosco, please grab some to drink along with us. But that will be coming out next week. And please like, subscribe, hit the little button, wherever it is. Tell your friends, write a good review. Uh, this is also available in audio. And if you're listening on audio, it's also available in video on YouTube. Uh, so otherwise, um, thanks very much. See you next week. Till then. Chin chin. Chin.